Uh, today I've entitled the message, Whatever Happened to Commitment? Uh, because today when we look around at society, we see a lot of decisions being made, but not a lot of commitment. The, the Bible says in 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are what? Fully committed to Him. The Lord is looking around the earth to see who is it that would be fully committed to Him. History shows us that long-term commitments pay off. That said, the sad thing is today that we are seeing less and less commitment. I'm seeing less commitment in people in my, than in my entire lifetime. People are less reluctant to make long-term commitments. We don't want to commit to long-term to jobs. I, I remember uh, back in my dad's generation, it seemed like people would take a job and they would have that job for many, many years. Uh, we don't want to commit to long-term marriages. We're seeing more and more young couples who say, we want to live together, we want to cohabitate, we want to try this marriage thing out. And so they want all the benefits of marriage, but without all of the commitment of marriage. And um, the vast majority of those relationships don't work out because you can't have uh, love without commitment. Uh, We don't want long-term investments. Uh, We don't want to commit to a church. I remember as a kid growing up, uh, things have changed now, but... Uh, when uh, people came in church, they often came Sunday morning, they often came Sunday night, and they would come Wednesday night. It seemed like church was a, uh, not only a priority, it was, it was a commitment that people made. And today, we see uh, in many, many cases around the country, people have a lack of commitment to the church. Uh, they will go from church to church or service to service or find something that they think, well, this is better. The average Christian attends uh, worship 1.6 times a month. Now, I'm very, very happy to say that we don't see that statistic too much here. Uh, In fact, most of you who are coming are just coming on a regular basis, week in and week out, and so we celebrate that. But there is this attitude out there that just seems to be, with all the options that are out there, I want to keep my options open. If I just keep them open, I'm not going to be committed to anything. Uh, Life is a buffet. I'm just going to... I want to just choose what I want. I want to go to the golden corral of life. And, and if I want this, I want that. And if I want that, I want that. And I'm not really going to worry about committing to it. But friends, the tragic fact is you cannot live without making commitments. I mean, the truth is you can't buy a house without making a commitment. Uh, you certainly can't have a marriage without making a commitment. Uh, You can't uh, even give a driver's license today without making some kind of a commitment. And friends, listen, nothing great in life ever happens without making commitments because it shows what your values are. When you commit to something, you're saying, this is what I value, this is what's important to me. And and when you say it's important to you, you make a commitment to it. You say, this is what I'm going to do. And in marriage, we say, we're going to do it till death do us part. And uh, the uncommitted life, It's a challenging life. It's really a selfish life that says, I'm not committed to anything. It is also true, you can't be committed to everything, so you do have to choose your commitments. But it shows what you value. It also shapes your life and your future. You show me somebody who's committed, I'll show you what their future is going to be like. You show me what you're committed to today, I'll show you what your future is going to look like. Because you become whatever you're committed to. Your life is the sum total of your commitments. If you think making money is your primary commitment, well, in a few years, we're going to be able to say, well, was that your primary commitment? And what happened to everything else? Everything else. What about your family? What about your life with God? No, I put money as the top priority and top commitment. And so you'll reap the benefits or the consequences of that decision. 
Your life is what you commit to. And if I were to sit down with you for just 30 minutes and say, show me what you're committed to. Show me what decisions you're making today. We would be able to look together and say, this is what's going to come down the pike 30, 40, 50 years from now if that's the primary commitment in your life. Life is a sum total of the commitments that you make. Jesus said it like this. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? That's a very important question. Because every day in your life, you are exchanging your life for something. Uh, on average, somebody only has, each person only has about 25,550 days if you're living to old age. And every day when you wake up, you exchange your life for something. Some people exchange it for TV or internet or uh, downtime. Many people are exchanging it for social media. Some people exchange their life to do nothing. But you're exchanging your life every day for something. So Jesus said, what does it gain a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his very soul? So wise people use their time wisely. They have commitments. They demonstrate those commitments every day. And if you don't get anything else out of this, remember this, every choice has a consequence. When you make a decision based on something you're committed to, there will be an outcome of that. You reap what you sow. And in every life, every choice has a consequence. So the question is, what will you be committed to? Now, Jesus is very clear about this, that the cost of following him is the cost of commitment. And as you read through the Gospels, you'll find example after example where Jesus will put people in positions where they have to choose. Sometimes there were large crowds following him, like in Luke chapter 14 or John chapter 6. Jesus would preach a sermon. Everybody goes, we want to follow you. And Jesus oftentimes would talk down the crowd and say, I don't want all the crowd. I want the committed. I want people who are in on this thing. And we see this all the time in Jesus' ministry. Uh, Kyle Eidelman in his book, Fan or Follower, writes, See, a lot of us don't mind Jesus once a week on Sunday. We don't mind making some minor changes in our lives, but Jesus wants to turn our lives upside down. We want him to do a little touch-up work, but Jesus wants complete renovation. We, we come thinking tune-up, but Jesus is thinking overhaul. We think just a little makeup is what we need, and Jesus is thinking makeover. We think a little decorating is required, and Jesus wants a complete remodel. Jesus didn't come to this earth so that you'd be better behaved or tweak your personality or fine-tune your manners or smooth out your rough spots. He wants total transformation. Total transformation takes total commitment. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says, if you want to follow him, you've got to do what? Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. He's saying, I want to be first place. I want to be priority in your life. You have to love me more than anybody or anything else in your life, any other priority. And that's a pretty ridiculous claim, right? It's pretty audacious. It's out there. But uh, if anybody else had said it, we would say, that's ridiculous. How can you even ask for that? But look, when the creator of the universe says, I want to be first place in your life, that's probably a time when all of us should probably listen up. And the difference is here that Jesus has a right to the claim. He says, I want to be first place. He made you, he created you, he loved you, he died for you on the cross. Nobody else has ever done that. And so he says, I want your very best all the time. So, Today, we're asking the question, whatever happened to commitment? C.S. Lewis said it like this, if Christianity is untrue, then it is unimportant. That's obvious. If the Bible's a lie, if it's all a myth, if it didn't really happen, then why are we all here? It doesn't 
doesn't really make a difference. He said if Christianity is untrue, then it's unimportant. But on the other hand, he said this, the only thing that Christianity cannot be is moderately important. It's either all or nothing. It either demands and deserves everything I've got or let's all go home. And the one thing it cannot be is moderately important. Now, the the end of Luke chapter 9, Jesus gives us three individuals in a way of illustration, but also real-life stories that happen in Luke chapter 9, verse 57. These three individuals are going to help us understand three commitments that we really need to make when it comes to Christ. Uh, first of all, verse 57 says, As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And notice he says, I'll follow you wherever you go, wherever. Um, there are a lot of people who talk a good game, but they don't follow through with their commitments. And he says to Jesus, I'll follow you without reservation. But Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus draws attention to the fact that this man loved comfort more than he loved following Christ. And maybe that's what's keeping you. Because the call of Jesus to take up our cross and follow him is in direct conflict with our desire to live a comfortable life. We are by nature comfort seekers. You guys have seen on uh, television these things called Snuggies. Seen those? It's okay. Anybody want? One? Anybody have one of those? Raise your hand real high if you have a Snuggie. Oh, that's cute. That's good. That's good that you admitted it. You guys that are members of SA, Snuggies Anonymous, uh, you, you, you're getting excited about that. And a little blanket with sleeves. And it's one of those inventions I think, gone. why didn't I invent that thing, man? You know? And uh, it's so simple. Turn, take a robe, turn it backwards. You got a snuggie, all right. And uh, but that is kind of the, it's kind of the cultural value of our lives. So many people seek comfort today. We've made comfort our God. That's what we live for. We work for. We sacrifice for it. And this man in verse fifty-seven says, "I want to follow you wherever you go." And Jesus said, "You don't understand that this is not a life of comfort. This is a life of commitment. This is all in." You're all in on this. And many, many Christians approach their commitment to Jesus and the Bible this way. They say, I like Jesus, but I don't like serving the poor. Oh, I like Jesus, but I can't always get up for church. Oh, I like Jesus, but I can't really sacrifice for him and commit to him my resources or finances. I, I like Jesus, but he, he demands too much time. Look, half-hearted commitment is no commitment at all. If you're half-heartedly committed to your spouse, that's no commitment at all. Amen? Come on. To those of you who, ha- who said at your commitment day, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. I mean, that's a pretty significant commitment, right? Here's what you didn't say. To cook and to clean, to be nice and not mean to provide for my needs till you frustrate me, then I'm out. That's not commitment. Commitment challenge number one, I choose commitment to Christ over comfort. Remember it. Write it down. I choose commitment to Christ over comfort. Comfort is not the highest value. Verse 59, he said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And one of the first words out of the guy's mouth mouth is what? First, let me go bury my father. And you may say, well, this is, we could be sympathetic to this guy. His dad maybe died, and he said, well, I'm going to go bury him. But you're missing the point. 
what he's really, I don't even know if his dad is sick at this point. He's saying, hey, listen, I've got other priorities here. I've got other things I want to do. First, I'll go do those things, and then I'll come follow you. And this happens in the Christian life, too. Oh, God, I'll give, I'll give to you sacrificially when I have the money. I'll serve humbly when I have the time. I'll come to the gathering on the weekend, on Sunday, regularly, when my kids aren't so busy. I'll give up that toxic relationship when the moment seems right. I'll give up that habit soon, next week. The Christian life is often filled with excuses rather than commitments. This guy wants to bury his father, but the truth is he's just making an excuse. And the excuse is not good enough for Jesus. And so I'm not sure what's holding you back from that full commitment. Maybe something that seems very legitimate, but Jesus says the time is now. So challenge number two is I choose commitment to Christ over excuses. I choose commitment over comfort, and I choose commitment over excuses. And verse 61 gives us another one. It says, still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Jesus isn't looking for half-hearted followers. Following him part-time is not an option. He's not interested in Sunday only. He's not looking for people who are looking over their shoulders all the time, wondering what they're missing out, wondering about those relationships that they used to have, wondering about what their friends are doing that are fun that they wish they could do. They're not looking over their shoulders. They're looking forward. And they know that no matter what, Christ is their commitment, their priority. And so the question is, is Jesus just one of many commitments to you, or is he one and only? Jesus is very clear. Commitment to him is the only option. Jesus says the most important command is to love the Lord your God with what? With all your heart. With what? All your soul. With all your mind. And with all your strength. Nothing less. Nothing less is worthy of of the king. Matthew 6 says it this way. Jesus said, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. When you get Jesus, you're not giving up something, you're gaining something. You're gaining the whole world. What would it forfeit a man if he gained the whole world and yet gave up his soul? Jesus said, look, you want to gain, you want to gain in this life? Put Jesus first. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things. All these things that you think are priority. Your, your family, which is a priority. Your loved ones, which are priority. Your health, which is a priority. Jesus said, look, put me first. Put me first in your life. I want good things for your life as well. But you have to make me a priority. Commitment number three. I choose to commitment to Christ over all other people and pursuits. All other people and pursuits. Now, I want to give you four practical things just very quickly because I think sometimes messages like this we can leave and go, yeah, I'm going to be committed. And then we go, well, how and in what ways? And these are the very basics, but I'll give them to you. The first thought of every day. I think we should be committed the first thought of every day. Psalm 5.3 says, each morning I will look to you in heaven, lay my request before you, and wait expectantly. I think when you first wake up, rather than thinking about your, your to-do list and all the things that need to be that you need to do, I think you should wake up thinking about what Christ has already done. I think you should wake up going, just God, thank you for what you're doing in my life. Just wake up with that attitude of gratitude in your life. Wake up with the idea of, God, thank you so much for all that you've given me. Put your priority on him first. Read that scripture. Say that prayer. 
and, uh, and make sure you're focused on Him. The first thought of every day, and remember that His mercies are new every morning, every time you wake up. I think we should give Him the first day of every week. This used to be um, just kind of standard operating procedure, but somewhere along the way we've, we've left it out. On the first day of the week, the disciples came together. They broke bread and they worshipped. Why do Christians worship on Sunday? Do you all know? That's the day that he resurrected. For all these thousands of years, the Jews had worshipped on Saturday because what did God say in the Old Testament? By command, keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And then why did all that tradition change in one moment? Because Jesus Christ, the, the Savior and Messiah, died and resurrected came back from the grave on Sunday morning, and so this tradition, all these years of tradition changed in one fell swoop. It was an Old Testament command, and it was a New Testament practice. They worshiped because Jesus rose from the dead, and because it's the first day of the week, and there is a biblical principle here, which says whatever's first, whatever, whatever you put first, that's your priority. So put God first in your life. And so we worship on Sunday, the very first thing of your entire week. We wake up, we're ready to celebrate the whole week. And we do it right by putting God first, worshiping on the Lord's day. That has been a long-standing practice that God instituted, and we should not be the ones who try to break that practice in our own lives. Make it a priority in your life. Make it a priority that church would be something that you would be a part of. I think we should make the first portion of our income. The Bible says in Proverbs 3, 9, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with your first fruits. That's called tithing. And we've talked about that. The Old Testament practice was 10%. That right away, the first 10% went to the Lord. In the New Testament, it was a practice. In the Old Testament, it was a command. And one of the ways we show God first place in our life is where we say, God, in all that we have, our time, our energy, our resources, we want to put you first. We do it because it gives us gratitude of the past, of what God has done. It keeps our priorities straight in the present. Because if I don't give, I have a tendency to, instead of focusing on God, I tend to focus on my own needs. And then it gives me faith for the future because it's one of those few areas where I'm literally trusting God, trusting God every time I give him the first fruits. And 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2 says that we should give when? On the first day of the week. Set aside that sum of money and giving. Why? Because it's an act of worship. When we give back to the Lord, we're saying to God, I want to give you my very best on the first day of the week. And I want to do it as an act of worship. I think it should be the first thought of every day. We should give him the first day of every week and the first portion of our income and the first priority in every single decision. In everything you do, the Bible says, put God first and he will direct you and he will crown your efforts with success. Another version says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. You want to be successful in life, you want to be blessed in life, you got to put first God first in every decision. Rather than deciding what you're going to do and then later saying, oh God, would you join me on what I just decided to do? Why don't you first ask God, God, would you help me make a decision that you'd be honored by? And whatever you feel directed by, whatever you feel like the Lord is leading you to, he'll open some doors, he'll close some doors, he'll give you confirmation through his scripture, through prayer, and through other people, other believers in Jesus. Those people will encourage you, and once you make that decision, make sure that you're saying, God, I want to put you first in that decision. Whatever it is, I want to make you first. So the question is today, whatever happened to commitment? I picked up a book this uh, week. 
I was over at Jason's basketball practice. He happens to practice at a church, and they had a bookcase. I guess it's kind of a library. I assumed it is because I borrowed a book, amen? And uh, I'm bringing it back, though. I'm bringing it back. So uh, the book is called The Christian Atheist by Craig Rochelle. And I didn't know what to expect when I first picked it up because the title in and of itself seems to be an oxymoron. Well, the truth is that's his whole point, that he lived many, many years while believing in Jesus in his heart His mentality and his attitude both demonstrated that truly he didn't really believe in God. It answers some difficult questions in there. In fact, some of them were extremely difficult. That I believe in God and yet I still struggle with the fact that people go through hard times. Or I uh, believe in God but I still wonder if God answers prayers. So there are some difficult questions in there. But at one point in the book there was something at the very end that struck me. This is a book I couldn't put down. He said uh, one day he was home working out on his elliptical and he was listening to a sermon and suddenly he said he just had to stop. He said he was surrounded by God's presence. He knelt down on the floor and started to cry out to God. And he said, if you'd seen me, you would have thought I was falling apart, but God was putting me back together. He said, I cried for all of God and his presence and it became immediately uh, real. And he said, "I, I believed in spiritual visions. He said, I just never had one. But he he said, I had this picture of three lines, and I thought I would conclude today in the way that he talked in his book. He described three lines, and each line was a line of commitment. The first line was simply that he believes in God. You can go ahead and go to that slide that he believes in God and the gospel enough to benefit from it. In other words, he said, I believe in the gospel just enough to receive whatever benefit. And he said there are a lot of people that are like this, and this is what he saw in his mind. Many people who believe in God in their heart, they want all the benefits of Christianity, but they don't want the commitments of Christianity. And so he said there are many, many people that were there, and he said, in fact, in his life, he was there for a long time as well. I believe in God. I may have even said yes to Jesus at some point, but what I want is what Jesus can do for me. It's not what I can do for Jesus. Does that make sense to everybody? He said then he had to move to that second line. I believe in God and Christ's gospel enough to contribute comfortably. I believe in God enough. Yes, sure, I'm willing to give something back to him because I understand what God has given to me. And here's the reality about this. Most believers in Jesus today in our, in our country are, are either at line number one or line number two. Line number one, I want heaven and all the benefits. I believe in God, but I'm not really going to give back to him. I just want all the benefits of Christianity. Line number two, I believe in God, but I'm going to give to him comfortably, right? I'm going to give to him within my comfort zone, whatever that is. Oh, I'll give him a little time. I'll give him a little resource. I'll give him a little energy, but it'll be within my capability to be able to do it. And many of us live there. Line number three, I believe in God and Christ's gospel enough to give my life to it. That, that, this, the, this is the no turning back point. This is the point where you say, no matter what, no matter what my friends do, no matter what culture says, no matter what anybody else around me does, I'm going to give my life fully, 100% to what Jesus has for me. And here's what he writes. Although most people I knew 
were line one and line two believers, suddenly anything less than line three didn't seem like Christianity to me. Could I give my whole life to Christ, not only in words, but in my daily life? I knew in the deepest part of myself I have to be a third-line believer. With unquenchable thirst, I pursued living water above all substitutes. I started praying like never before, started pursuing God in the morning and continued throughout the day. Jesus was on my mind when I fell asleep and when I woke. Scripture started becoming my bread of life, nourishing my soul. I believe in God and Christ's gospel so much that I'm willing to give my whole life to his cause. Nothing in this world is more important to me than my treasure in heaven. No fear in my heart is greater than my fear of God. I desire nothing more than I desire all of God. Tears fill my eyes as I type this. I cannot put into words what God has done in my heart. Line one, I believe in God, but I want the benefits. Line two, I believe in God and I'll give something comfortably. Whatever's within my comfort zone. Line three, I believe in God so much that I'm willing to give my entire life to the sake and the cause that he's called me to. Whatever happened to commitment? Whatever happened to some people that said, no matter the cost, I'm willing to follow Jesus. Jesus said, that's the follower that I'm looking for. First Chronicles. He looks to and fro throughout the world to see who is fully committed to him. Not just in the Old Testament, not just in the New Testament. Right now today at Axis Christian Church in Mason, Ohio. We're going to sing a a song of commitment. And uh, I really want to encourage you today. Take this time to worship. Take this time to, in your own mind, set your own line to, to, to look at where you are. To truly evaluate and, and, to, and to say, God, I really want to be that third line kind of believer. I want to be somebody that's willing to, to, for total commitment. You, you think about that and pray about it. Uh, if you want somebody to pray for you, we'll be down here ready to pray for you about it. If you've never made a commitment to Christ, you can do that today. You can be baptized into Christ. You can repent of your sins. You can say, I want to follow Jesus with everything I've got. Now, I know. We're not going to be perfect about it. Even the Apostle Paul said, there are things I want to do that I don't do, and the things I know I shouldn't do, I still do. So even Paul struggled from time to time with with where he was. But ultimately, he ended up in his life saying, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, that he wanted to give his entire being to who Christ was. And that's our goal. That's what we want for you. That's what Christ wants for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much today. Help us answer that question in this place, whatever happened, commitment, with a, with, a, with a direct answer. Whatever happened to commitment, it reignited in a place on a Sunday morning in February in Mason, Ohio. With a, few group, a group of people who said, we want to be wholly committed, sold out to you. And God, we were reminded of the Vance Havner quote once he said, the world has never seen what would happen with a heart that's fully committed to Christ. And God, we want to be that. We want to have that full devotion. And God, we just pray as we worship today that we would draw our own line in the sand and that we would cross that line and say, we want to, no turning back, God, no turning back. I've decided to follow you. Lord, we just pray for that today in Jesus' name. And we just pray that we'd be people of commitment. Amen.